Welcome to the Health and Fitness Frederick Podcast, where we discuss all things related to health and wellness. We dispel common myths and misconceptions regarding healthcare, and we do it in a way that you can actually understand. And it is hosted by yours truly, Dr. Matt Silver, Doctor of Physical Therapy and founder of Alpha Project Physio and Performance. All right. Um, how's it going, guys? So today we have a special guest on, and she is a registered dietitian who has kind of taken a, a different journey than many other um, registered dietitians have taken. Um, instead of working in a hospital or in a nursing home, she decided to start her own uh, business where she sees a lot of athletes and especially distance runners, which uh, which is why I, I think we really hit it off and started to connect. Um, so I'd like to welcome uh, Sarah Slichter to uh, to the podcast. Hey Matt, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on. And I remember when I first, I think I saw your Instagram page, and I think I clicked on the website, and I was like, okay, let's you know, she's a dietitian. Let's see what what's going on. And I mean, it was just your website was just full of just <laughs> the pictures of this food that you made. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is. I mean, it's. I mean, it's healthy. Like it looks like not necessarily organic, but just made out of whole foods. And I'm like, oh my god, like this looks amazing. And um, yeah, so I guess um, uh, tell me, tell me about yourself. How'd you get started? Why'd you want to become a uh, registered dietitian? Sure. So I was a career changer. So my my first career was sort of in the sports business world. So my undergraduate degree was sports management. I graduated from UMass Amherst. So I'm originally from New England. I worked in college sports for a few years, and I've always loved sports. I was active myself. I was a college athlete. But I soon realized that working nights and weekends and every single college event wasn't exactly what I pictured or wanted to do. So I made a switch, and then I just sort of worked in a few random industries. I did a little bit in finance. I worked for a real estate company. And I tell people I figured out what I wanted to do by figuring out everything I did not want to do. Sure. So eventually, I just realized I had this passion for quote unquote healthy living and nutrition. And I really delved into the healthy living blog world, which this was like 10 years ago when blogging was a big thing. I mean, it's still a big thing, but now it's almost like everyone has a blog. So back then I was just reading about it, taking everything in and realizing I've always loved sciences. And I really wanted to go back to school and help people live that healthy lifestyle, help athletes, so I made the switch. I started taking some prereqs and I did have some science courses from undergrad that did transfer over. So luckily, like um, general chemistry and anatomy and physiology, I was originally exercise science major. So I did take some of those that that fortunately did transfer over. And then I had to take microbiology. I took a general nutrition course just to make sure like, hey, I like what I'm doing here. I did. Yeah. So once I took those prereqs, I went back to school. I went to a coordinated program, which it was a dual degree. I got a master's of public health in nutrition. And then I was able to take all of my prereqs so I could sit for the board certified RD exam. And I became a dietitian in 2015. And yeah, like you said, I've, I've sort of taken an unconventional route. I mean, to me, it's not so unconventional, but I think that's because the crowds that I run with, a lot of them are doing similar things. So we're all learning from each other. And I just never pictured myself working in clinical, working in a hospital setting. 
we had to do that experience as part of our internship to get those hours, Mm -hmm. it just never appealed to me. I more so wanted to be on the front line in preventative health, helping people with lifestyle changes, behavior modifications to hopefully prevent getting to the hospital or nursing home or anything like that. Yeah. So it seems like, hey, you started in kind of the sports and athletic background and like you said, you kind of you tried all these different jobs and nothing really seemed to didn't really stick with you. So you, you kind of went back to school and said, hey, I, let me see if this nutrition thing is this, is this something you're interested in. And it seems it was. And um, it's it, it, it's it's cool, too, that you said, hey, I, I you knew you wanted to do nutrition, but not necessarily like in the clinical setting, a nursing home uh, or hospital. You kind of wanted to say, hey, I knew you, you it seems like you knew you wanted to work with these athletes in these in this active population. Right. Yes, I think it's it's almost come full circle because as a college athlete myself, I never thought about nutrition. And granted, who knows how my performance would have been different if I did. I mean, I think I had a general healthy diet, but I wasn't aware of carbohydrates and proteins and how to plan and time them before and after performance. I mean, we had to do weight room workouts. And I just remember my coach saying, drink that extra protein smoothie. You need to bulk up. And all of the stuff. But now with the knowledge I have, it just is so much more meaningful just knowing how nutrition can be really strategic in performance. So did you, when you finished up with school, right? So you became a registered dietitian. Did you take a job that was uh, in a hospital or a nursing home or did you start, did you get right out of the gate and said, Hey, I'm just going to do my own thing? No, I did take a job. It wasn't a hospital or a nursing home. It was actually at a physical therapist office. I don't know if we had talked about this, but it would, they, he had kind of a cumulative view having a bunch of different professionals working together. So there were physical therapists. It was an owner MD who kind of owned it. And then there was myself and another dietitian. And the thought was to maybe eventually get a chiropractor or a massage therapist, but make it just a one-stop shop, make it easy for patients. So while I was working there, the clientele wasn't my ideal client. I mean, it was a lot of people with back aches or um, overweight obesity, just trying to manage like type 2 diabetes or, or things like that. So it wasn't the athlete population I wanted, but it was great experience just kind of practicing working with other professionals and taking a team approach and transferring care and making sure that I was able to deliver nutrition education in a way that patients could understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you didn't tell me that. Like, that's a pretty cool idea. Like a PT and a, a nutritionist or a, a dietitian working together. Um, it sounds like it's a, I think that's becoming more common as like a wellness or a holistic sort of a model, uh, depending on uh, what kind of health professionals that you have there. Um, yeah, but that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so how long has, uh, is, is the business, it's bucket list tummy, right? It's bucket list tummy. Yes. And I always like to give a backstory of how that started. Yeah. So it didn't originally start as a business per se, but it was sort of just a blog chronicling my adventures. So the last leg of my dietetic internship was in corporate wellness. It actually took me out to Portland, Oregon, well, Beaverton, Oregon, where the Nike campus is located. And I was working on the Nike campus with their dietitian. They have a bunch of cafes on campus and they're employees could get nutrition counseling and we would determine what healthy snacks to serve in the campus. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's okay. Um, So, so I really loved that 
internship, that experience in general, but just being immersed in Portland, there's so much to do. First of all, there's so much running, there's so much hiking. Mm -hmm. The food options are amazing. I mean, every place had a happy hour every day of the week from like three to five, the coffee. It was just one of those places that it was an ultimate bucket list. So I started bucket list tummy as a way to kind of chronicle all the places I was eating at and what my favorites were. And I had wanted something food related, but I knew it had to be like a bucket list something. So BLT was kind of the food pun, but bucket list tummy is how it started. And then once I became a dietitian, rather than rebranding, I had already gained a following. I kind of just went with that. So it's kind of evolved. I still do, like Matt said, I share a lot of recipes. I'm very active in the kitchen. I always have been, and I imagine I always will be because (laughs) food is a big part of my job. But it's it's evolved to its own brand. Like I talk a lot about sports nutrition. I talk a lot about intuitive eating, which is sort of my philosophy on nutrition. I, I talk about family nutrition now, having two young girls of my own and how I prepare food for them. And I also work with brands that align with my values to help get their messages out to the public. So there's freelance work and then some media consulting as well. That's awesome. I love how you have this passion for something of like, it just started, I think you said as a blog, right? Like just this hobby. And then it's like, oh, I could grow this into a business or I could, you know, it just kind of, it just has like, I don't think you came into the intention of I'm going to do this because I want to have a business out of it. It kind of just happened because you had a passion for it. Does that sound right? Exactly. Yeah. I think it was a natural evolution, which I think that is why I have not been burned out by it or it's sort of just grown along with me. I didn't try to grow too quickly too soon. I kind of just, when it felt natural or felt more intuitive, that's when I took the next steps. Or maybe I had people saying, hey, well, do you do one-on-one coaching or do you do group coaching? And if I wasn't doing it, I was kind of evaluating, well, why am I not doing it? People want this now. So a lot of it has been feedback, but also just as I've evolved in my lifestyle and my view on nutrition, the brand has evolved with it. And I'll be rebranding a little bit later this summer, which is exciting just to make my website a little bit more clear because there are a lot of things I do. So when someone lands on it for the first time, be, if they want the recipes, that'll be easy to find. But if they want the nutrition coaching or recommendations or sports nutrition information, that'll be easy to find as well. Yeah, that the website when I went, it's definitely it's there's a lot there. <laughs> it looks like you've definitely put a lot of effort into that. Uh, but I just know I forgot it, it might be like the homepage, but it's like. If, I'll give I'll give the I'll give your information afterwards like the website like it's bucketlisttummy.com right that's what it is right yes um, but to your point yeah it's a, there is a lot there so I've been trying to kind of strategically figure out the best way to display all of that information without it being too overwhelming I gotcha um so I know you said you do one-on-one calls right and I know I hopped on one with you and it was it was nice because like as a as a runner myself and also so I do distance running and I do crossfit at the same time so uh, and working full time, it's it can be tough to to meet a lot of the, the nutrition demands that I have. So my issue that I was having was I would just decide I'm just going to eat breakfast, lunch, and then do all my workouts in the evening, and then just be starving by the time I get home. And just I would eat so much food I would bloat. Um, so I guess what's a, like what's a typical client? Like I know you helped me with with the bloating aspect, but like what's a typical client that you work with? Like is it a runner? Is it just an active person? Like who do you typically work with? Yeah. So to get very niche, I would say my typical client is a runner, a female runner, perhaps someone who has lost their period or is under fueling, 
So our nutrition plan is talking a lot about while I understand the passion of running and I understand why they love it and they want to set PRs and maybe it's qualify for Boston or run their first marathon, whatever that is. But there's a lot of nutrition knowledge that has to come into play first and understanding how bone health comes into play, the nutrients that are more important for female athletes and how fueling throughout the day consistently, periodizing our nutrition pre-post-workout, all of that, a lot of the things that you and I talked about, those are the common themes that I'm talking about with clients. Nice. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting too, that you say, Hey, I have a niche within a niche. Like I know you see more than just female distance runners. Like I'm, I know you see other athletes and people that are active, but um, I think that's definitely a population that, that needs this. Um, I had, I remember I was listening to a an orthopedic surgeon talk once and he was saying the difference between when a male tears their ACL and he's in there, right? He has to repair it or reconstruct it versus a female because he has to drill a hole in the tibia, tibia and the femur. And when he has to drill a hole in the male, he, he's saying he really has to push really hard to get right to drill it in there. But with the female, many times it just, he doesn't have to do anything. It just got, kind of goes in and it's essentially it's their bone density. I mean, these are 16, 17 year olds. And our bone density is that low. So I think what you're doing is like, that's huge with, with female athletes is this, this, uh, the female, uh, triad syndrome, uh, or I think it's, it has a different name now, but like, yeah, huge. relative energy deficiency in sport now. Yeah. And I think I don't want to minimize the importance because it's, it's very important, but it's also very common. And I think a large, a large reason for that is just the culture we live in, which is telling female runners, all runners, you know, you need to lose weight, you need to thin down, you need to eat less and run more, and that's going to make you a better runner. And when we internalize these beliefs about food, it, it's, it quickly turns to, well, I don't eat XYZ, or I'm decreasing XYZ. And then when we look at what they're eating, I'm like, well, this is not enough to fuel your activity, we're not getting enough iron, where's our sources of calcium? If we're cutting out meats for ethical reasons, great. But if we're cutting out meats just to lose weight or decrease our calories, well, then maybe there's some other things we should explore. So I think a lot of it is just driven by this diet culture that we live in that all of us are exposed to and just kind of relearning the basics of nutrition and having more influences that are encouraging people what, quote unquote, normal food intake looks like. Yeah. And I I think too of like, when I was in college, I only had, I had a short tenure from, because of all the injuries that I had. But when I was running collegiately, I, I think I, I weigh like, I'm a pretty lightweight. I weigh like 145 right now. But when, when I was running, I weighed like 116. Like I was like 30 pounds lighter. Cause like, and I don't think I had an eating disorder, but I definitely was like, if I can lose some weight, I think I'd run faster. So like I was kind of, I, I mean, as a male, like I was on that borderline of like, Hey, if I can lose weight, I'll be a better athlete. So I think that's, I think that's definitely a, a topic for females for sure. But even for male distance runners, I think it might be even under, uh, underappreciated. I, I would a hundred percent agree. I think the male population has been forgotten or just ignored. And a lot of them suffer with a lot of the same problems and challenges you're talking about, whether it's a diagnosed eating disorder or just disordered eating tendencies, but perhaps not recognizing that it's disordered because you think it's normal. Like you said, there's this idea just to slim down to be faster and better. And maybe coaches, teammates, colleagues, athletic directors, friends, family members unknowingly are, are promoting that culture too. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. But I think, like you said, that was one of the reasons that they transformed from to relative energy deficiency in sport to make it more inclusive for both genders. Gotcha. 
And it might be too that that men they might have more of the Adonis complex, so it's more of like I have to be jacked and have no body fat at all. Which is, from my experience, when you know, when they when they see the the bodybuilders on the show and stuff, the, yes, they're doing that like temporarily for a very short period of time, and they're very dehydrated when they're up there. So like that is not normal what they look like on the stage. So I think it's I think that might be a, a, kind of the other extreme as well of hey, instead of slimming down all the way. I want to be jacked and huge and just be absolutely shredded. But yes, you may be able to achieve that temporarily, but not over the not over the long term of your life. Right. What does maintenance look like? And how is it affecting your quality of life? If it's really impacting your relationship with friends or family or not being able to go out to eat with your spouse or your partner or friends, is that really worth it to you? Yeah, I, I, that's... I, I was listening to somebody else too, or I was learning something else where it's like, yes, you can have a key, if you want to go keto and we could talk about that too, like keto or paleo, whatever it is. But then you go to your friend's house and there's pasta, right? <laughs> Which is a refined carb. Like, are you just going to say, no, I'm not going to eat that. Like, and you know, be health. Yes. Enjoy. I would say, enjoy the food, <laughs> have fun with it, but you know, have a cheat day or something like that. I know there's all different ways to do it, but uh, tell me about what do you think about like keto and paleo and some diets like that? Uh, I think you can probably guess what I'm going to say, but a short, short answer. They're not sustainable. Um, I think, I think when people, people think of dieting as just a, a quick way to weight loss. And while it might initially lead to some weight loss, once we uncover the longer term, so studies, you know, over three years really show that the weight comes back on and often it comes back on more than the person started with. So this is what we call weight cycling. Weight cycling is actually pretty problematic. It leads to insulin resistance. It can increase risk for chronic disease. It causes more inflammation in the body. So this weight cycling, which happens from going on and off diets or really restricting to get to a certain weight or change your body, but then once your body catches up and it goes through an overeating or a binge, if you may, or just eats a normal amount of food, your weight might change and you might try to go down again. And this weight cycling can be really problematic. But the other thing that happens with these diets is that it really takes you away from your body. So maybe there's foods that you really like, but you're not allowed to eat them on this diet. So maybe Whole30, you really like a processed food every now and then, or it reminds you of home or comforting it to your grandma's chocolate chip cookie recipe, and you can't have that. So how does that make you feel? How does that change your mood? Or when you do finally let yourself have that, are you going to eat the whole batch rather than feeling satisfied after one cookie? So I think that's a major problem, learning to see foods as black and white, good or bad, when people start labeling foods that way. It really tarnishes that relationship with food and takes you away from what hunger feels like, what fullness feels like, and really recognizing, am I hungry for this or am I just eating it because I quote unquote have to? So those are just some of the... (laughs) If I, shortlisted problems I see with diets like that. I, I love how you said, listen to your body. Like, am I hungry? Do I want to eat this? Like when I started like cutting out like potato chips and I was, I was big into sun chips, which I still eat sun chips because I'm like, oh, they have fiber in them. They're better than a potato chip, but I, not the best food, but still not, not a bad food at all is the sun chip. So I started cutting out kind of uh, reprocessed foods and a lot of processed foods have salt. So when I would get home, I would actually crave salt and like, I would just, I would have pasta and I'm like, I'm just going to put, I would put like 
uh, I think olive oil and, and garlic salt on my pasta. And I'm like, I'm just, I just loaded it up with salt because I felt like I wanted <laughs> to eat the salt. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, I don't need any more salt. And it was just me. And I think this is a huge thing of listen to your body. Like, do you actually want to eat this food or are you forcing yourself to eat it? I think that's, that's, uh, I, I think that's interesting how you said that. Yeah. And I really think the body, once we learn to listen to it, I mean, diets really take us away from our body signals, but our bodies are really smart. They really do self-regulate because they do want to eat a variety of foods. They want to feel good. I mean, whether we're eating pizza one night and then we feel maybe bloated or sluggish the next day, maybe our body's like, well, I actually do want a salad or I want something green or something lighter. That's a great response of how your body will naturally just balance over time. But maybe in your case, wanting a lot of salt, I mean, there could be many reasons for that. But if you're active, it could totally relate to your electrolyte balance or dehydration status. I mean, it definitely could be a way of your body asking for something different for sport. Yeah. Um, And I like how you said about, it seems like there's this common scenario or common theme of maybe diets aren't the best. They're definitely not the best long term. So maybe we should focus on making small changes. And then having these changes over a long period of time, right? Like having essentially just a healthy lifestyle or just eat health, eating healthy. And it doesn't have to be all changing all at once, I think, but making small changes over time. And you let me know, you tell me if this is a good idea, but just making small steps towards something. It's like learning a new skill. To me, this is eating healthy is probably a skill, right? Absolutely. And I think it, everyone may define healthy a little bit different because what is healthy to one person may look a little bit different to another person. But I think at least giving your body the opportunity to communicate with you and check in. So maybe you're trying to incorporate a salad every day at lunch because you weren't eating enough greens. So maybe you're having a sandwich alongside it, but you're eating a salad and you're maybe you're noticing you're still sluggish in the afternoon. Maybe you need to add some more protein to your salad, or maybe you're noticing that your digestion is better. Your skin is clearing up, anything like that. Like giving your body time to kind of give you feedback on what your changes are because as much as diet culture tells us lose 10 pounds in a week or whatever it is with these changes, those aren't maintainable. And that doesn't happen. Changes don't happen overnight. So I think allowing your body, allowing yourself to get in a groove to see what does work for you, what is maintainable and what's practical with your lifestyle is important. Um, yeah, that's, I, I love how you said, see how you feel afterwards. Like when I was in like middle school and high school, like I was a kid that had just horrible acne, like all basically all over my face. Like it was just bad. Like I did not look good as a middle schooler and early high schooler. Um, but I, looking back, what did I have for breakfast? I think I had like two bowls of like skim milk with cereal. You know what I mean? Like I had all the sugar and all this dairy. And then I'd have like a huge slab of peanut butter on my bagel. So it's like, so those were like the high amount of sugar and probably the dairy didn't sit well with me as well. Like that what was causing my acne once I decreased the amount of milk and dairy and, and the huge amount of peanut butter I was having with all the, all the fat in, I'm like, oh, my acne cleared up. And it was like, I didn't have to go buy, you know, all the products on TV for acne. I'm like, I just had to fix my diet. And now I feel better. I'm not as bloated and my acne's gone. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's kind of cool. And like, I remember telling people about it. And they're like, oh, it's full of it. You're full of crap, Matt. Like, it's not the milk. And I'm like, okay, but like, I have less acne now. My face is less oily kind of putting the pieces together here. Yeah. And I think, you know, for you recognizing that maybe making some tweaks made a difference in how you feel and maybe your energy. And also noting that for other people, 
whether they are or they are not struggling with acne, maybe adding dairy could be a great way to help them feel satisfied or get more protein in. So we all are N equals one, right? It's mm-hmm. hard to give blanket recommendations that are going to work for all of us, but knowing that there's so many foods out there and it's okay if they don't work for you, there's a lot of other options, but being strategic about the options and that's where dietitians can help educate. Well, these are great substitutions for your protein needs, your calcium needs, anything like that, but making sure to pair it correctly or just variety also is just something that usually works in people's balance, in people's favor. Sure. Uh, but yeah, definitely um, finding out, it sounds like it's just a big experiment, like experiment around and <laughs> see what happens. Like it's, if it doesn't work out, you wasted some time. Okay. Like there's plenty of other time to, to, you know, to, to work on whether the goal is losing weight or in my case, it was acne or whatever athletic performance, right. Finding what works for you. Like some food for me, like eating right before I run, <laughs> not going to happen. Like I, I can maybe have like half an apple or half a banana, but if I have a little bit more than that, like it's, I'm going to cramp up and it's over. So like. Uh, wait, yeah, let's talk about that actually too. Like, so do you see like are they the, the a lot of the the clients you have are they training for like a half marathon or marathons or any other sporting events? Like, can you talk about that? Yeah, generally, I would say um, marathon, half marathon distance are big. I have one client now who's really excited to run Boston this fall. Oh, keeping nice. my fingers crossed for. Her. <laughs> um, I have another one who's just doing like a ten k distance, but she's kind of perimenopausal. So a little bit later in life and balancing exercise and strength building work and how diet plays into that. So it really does run the gamut, but I would say most of my clients are active in one way or another. So our meetings are really just personalizing a nutrition plan for them based on their activity, based on their lifestyle, because I've worked with lawyers who are in a courtroom all day and don't have time to eat. So we have to be really strategic about things that they can snack on consistently. But uh, on the other flip other side of the coin, I have a grad student now who budget is a little bit of a concern. So we're trying to work with nutrient dense food options that are budget friendly, but can still make sure to fuel her before and after her workouts and make sure that she's getting enough throughout this training cycle. So like back to your point of everything being an experiment, I totally think nutrition is an experiment, just seeing what's going to work for one person, but remembering that in different stages of life, what worked for us may not work. So for example, pregnancy, it's a great opportunity. Some of your favorite foods you might not like anymore. You can't keep anything down. Your needs change. They go up. Postpartum, you have to remember to fuel yourself consistently. If you're training for a marathon, that's going to look a little bit different than your day-to-day life. So recognizing that as humans, we're fluid and our needs are constantly changing, but just having an understanding of what that means and translating it into real food can be helpful. I, I think that is, uh, it's like a, a pregnancy is probably, I think, do you see a lot of uh, women that are, uh, met, uh, that are pregnant? Do you work with a lot of them? I've worked with a few. I wouldn't say I see a lot, but, um, myself, I've been through two pregnancies, so I have a little bit of that experience, but, um, Hey guys, uh, unfortunately, our internet connection got disrupted, and Sarah is very, very busy. So it's just been uh, it's been pretty tough trying to get back on get her back on a podcast. So uh, we're gonna have to end it here. So I do apologize for having to cut it a little bit short. Um, the only thing we didn't get to talk about was uh, kind of nutrition and pregnancy and somebody who still wants to. So for a woman who, who still wants to be active, whether it's running or or whatever sport that they are partic- participating in. Um, 
that's the only thing that we missed, so I do apologize for that. But um, I, Sarah, I really appreciate uh, having you on. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a pleasure. So if anybody is interested in finding out or reaching out to Sarah or finding out more about what she does or would love to reach out to her, um, you can find her on Instagram. And her handle is bucketlisttummy underscore rd and again that's bucket list tummy underscore rd uh, i'm looking at her instagram right now and it's got a, a whole load of just great ideas uh for nutrition and for uh, people that are active that well just want to have a healthier lifestyle so please check her out on instagram uh, i know she's also on facebook at bucket list tummy and also uh bucket list um there she has i mean the, the, probably the she has amazing uh resources and links uh, on her website and uh, also, if you do go to her website on the top right side, there's a work with me button. If you click on that, that's where you can kind of see uh, all the stuff that she does. And if you do, if you, if you are interested in working with her, this is where you can really reach out to her and and, uh, and see if, hey, if you do have a nutritional question or issue or if you just want to work with her or just reach out to her, hey, check out her website, check out her Instagram. Um, again, it's bucketlisttummy.com and bucketlisttummyrd uh, on Instagram. So uh, again, uh, I want to appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on, Sarah. And uh, if anybody has any questions, please reach out to her. But uh, guys, uh, I appreciate you listening and I hope to catch you next time. Hey, wait a minute, guys. I just wanted to say thanks for listening to the podcast today. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support this podcast, please share this with others by taking a screenshot of this episode and posting it to your story on Instagram and tag Alpha Project Physio so we can repost it. And to stay up on all the latest from me, please follow Alpha Project Physio on Instagram and Facebook and then subscribe to the Alpha Project newsletter at www.alphaprojectphysio.com. See you guys next time.